Hey, this is Joey Rumble. I'm the pastor of Summerbrook Church in Somerville, South Carolina, and this is our podcast. I hope the message you listen to today speaks to your heart and helps you connect with Jesus and grow in Him. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the message. Good morning, Summerbrook Church. If any of you have ever watched The Lord of the Rings, you'll remember the scene where four hobbits come back into the Shire. They're riding in on ponies, and they look a little more dignified than when they left. These hobbits in this moment, it's powerful because they're coming home. And this new series we're starting under construction, we're going to be looking at four books of the Bible and a time period in Jewish history when they were returning home. So bear with me for about five to ten minutes and then Pastor Joey's going to come up. I'm just going to give you a little context since we are going to be in so many different books this morning so we have an idea of when and where we're at. Okay, so let's take a quick look at some dates. So I'll be fast though. We're not going to have a huge history lesson. So year 586, the Jews are sent to Babylon and they are exiled there. Decades go by, and then in year 537, the book of Ezra begins. So what's happened at this point is the king Cyrus, who's the Persian king, has conquered Babylon, and he, in the first year of his reign, says, hey, everyone who's a Jew, this is an open invitation to now return home. So we see this picking up in the book of Ezra. Now, Ezra lasts over a century of time, but the first six chapters go until the year 515, so roughly 22 years, okay? In the middle of that, we have in the year 520, Haggai and Zechariah. So in that first part of Ezra, this is when they are prophesying. Now, this is starred just to represent the temple rededication in the year 516. And then we jump forward and we see the end of Ezra and Nehemiah in the years 458 to 433. Okay, we're done. If you hated dates in school, that part's over. Uh, but it's just simply to give you a picture of where the books fall in the time period. So what was going on during this time? If you can imagine the desire to return home, it's been decades that they've longed to go back to Jerusalem. They finally get there, and yet it doesn't look the same anymore. They return to a home in ruins. The walls are knocked down. The temple is destroyed. Their homes are gone, and so they have come upon a big building project. (laughs) My husband and I bought a fixer-upper, and we quickly realized that with a building project, anything we decide to do is going to take triple the time and a lot of trips to Lowe's. And you're probably going to test something out and then realize it doesn't work and then go back again. So uh, we joke about that at our house. And if you can imagine, the Israelites feel the same way, okay? They've been going to Lowe's a lot, and they've been trying to make this work. But you get started, and you're excited because you have these visions of what's going to happen, and then it doesn't go quite how you think it will. And that's exactly where the Israelites were when Haggai and Zechariah come on the scene. God gives a word to his people through these prophets to say, hey, 
we need to get remotivated to build the temple. The building had stopped after the first few years because they had reached opposition. They were living under a high tax time. There was a lot of desire to gain more land. And so the way rulers did that is they upped the taxes. So they're under financial stress, okay? Financial stress, emotional stress. They feel like God is absent. It's not this beautiful return they were imagining. And so they've stopped building the temple. So Haggai and Zechariah are the ones that get them remotivated to get to this point a few years later where the temple is finished and rededicated. The thing to recognize about Zechariah is he's a priest. I'm not going to go into his lineage, but if you look at the beginning of the book, you can find out who his grandparents and parents were. And he was the one giving them a message of hope. We see a lot of messianic prophecy in this book. And what that means is it's just a lot of moments where they're saying there is somebody coming. And they're pointing to Jesus, the ultimate Messiah who is to come. And they also, in the end of the book, the very last verse, we read this. In chapter 14, verse 11, Jerusalem shall dwell in security. This was the ultimate hope for these people because their city at this time had no walls. It was ruined and broken down. And yet this prophet is saying, hey, a time is coming when there will be peace. If you can imagine the hope that that would bring. And then Haggai, actually, as you study it, he gave very specific dates. And so we know, based on those specific dates he gives, that the sixth month and the first day is when he gave his very first oracle from God to the people. And that, as you would know, is August 29th. So this very day, 2,500 years ago, God was speaking to his people. And ironically enough, he is still speaking today. We didn't plan for August 29th to be the beginning of this series, knowing that that was the case. But as we looked at that, we were so impressed that our God still sees us today, that 2,500 years later, he's still speaking to us, and he is still just as intentional. In Nehemiah and Ezra, they also carry on this theme of faithfulness that we saw in Haggai and Zechariah. So they're trying to remind the people years later that they need to be faithful in their worship and faithful to God's law. Like I mentioned, this is a long time period. A lot has happened, and the Israelites need to be reminded that God still cares. He is still with them, even though it feels like he's not there. Not only do we learn that God is intentional, but we also find that God has a plan for our restoration and redemption. In Isaiah chapter 44, verse 28, we read the following. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall fulfill all my purpose. Saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built and of the temple, your foundation shall be laid. If you read on, he mentions Cyrus again. And you might be thinking, why does this matter? So the book of Isaiah in this portion was written over 100 years before King Cyrus was even born. 
And yet we find that God was speaking to his people to say, even before you are exiled, I have a plan for your restoration. Even before you return home and find it in ruins, I have a plan for peace. And God is still working today. As Pastor Joey comes up this morning, he's going to issue a challenge to each of us that where we find ourselves in ruins, to ask us over the next 52 days, how could we begin to see that restored? You might feel like the world around you doesn't look untouched as we saw the hobbits come back to this perfect, idyllic paradise. It might not look like that for you. Your relationships, your health, things may feel like they are in ruins. And yet we find the same God that worked through the Israelites to rebuild his temple and to rebuild their home is still in the business of restoration today. So please join me in welcoming Pastor Joey this morning. In Nehemiah chapter 6, Verse 15, scripture says, so the wall was finished in 52 days on the 20th, 25th day of the month of Elul. 52 days. Walls that were <clears throat> destroyed, lying dormant for 80 to 120 years were rebuilt in 52 days. I, that just blows my mind of how something can lay so dormant and then all of a sudden when God speaks to an individual like Nehemiah, he can rally the people. So I want to ask you this morning, what in your life <clears throat> uh, lies just completely destroyed or underdeveloped that if for 52 days you really focused on seeing it be rebuilt, restored, to put under construction that area of your life, to begin to roll your sleeves up, what could happen in your life spiritually, relationally, physically, emotionally, in any area, uh, that intellectually, any area that you say, man, so I'm praying that right now you would begin to pray, God, what is it where I have not reached the God-given potential you've placed in me? Where is it? in my personal life, that I have not leaned in. You know, Dallas Willard, uh, just an incredible uh, man, man of God has gone to be with the Lord now, but uh, wrote this. He said, grace is not opposed to effort, but earning. The unmerited favor of God where we find salvation in Christ, the free gift of forgiveness of sins through what Jesus did on the cross. We don't earn that. That is a gift. But when you read Scripture, when you read Nehemiah, when you read Ezra, when you read Haggai, when you read Zechariah and, and, the, and throughout Scripture in the New Testament, you see that the men and women of God were saved by grace, but they had to roll their sleeves up and do the effort to grow, partnering with the Holy Spirit so I'm believing God's going to speak to every one of us in the next few months during this series of areas that lie dormant that need to be rebuilt in our lives. So what area, if you committed to 52 days and plus, that's just the number that it took Nehemiah and the children of Israel to rebuild the walls, but in your life, 
And I want to lean into one other thing. The temple that Mary was talking about, how it took a 20-year rebuild project, it did not have to take that long. Thank God they listened to the prophets and rebuilt it. But it did not have to take that long because they got distracted from the work that needed to be done. Maybe it's that you've gotten distracted or I've gotten distracted in an area where we need to lean back into the work that needs to be done. So let's join and journey through this series together as we put our lives, and not just our lives, but what we lead in the workplace, in our families, in our community, in our church, that we begin that rebuild project. I can't help but think when Mary was uh, doing this history lesson, uh, I remember the, the day I was at her uh, college graduation from College of Charleston, which is at the cistern, which is, uh, matter of fact, Mary took one class, not in her major, but she had to take the class because she learned that uh, it was the oldest operating classroom in all of America. So I think she took Greek mythology or some elective so that she could say she was in the oldest classroom in all of uh, America and took a class there. But we're sitting there on, on graduation day under the beautiful oak trees. I'm sure if you've been walking downtown by that area, you see it because it's gorgeous. And, and all of a sudden, as you know, the speakers are speaking and the graduation's going on, there are birds up in the oak trees. And so I couldn't help but think when Mary's doing this history lesson of thinking back that these birds started dropping some droppings, man. And, and we're not talking the little droppings. These birds, they were like uh, major droppings. And these droppings just happened to be on some of my family members that were getting just pelted with the, during the graduation. And so we, we're all scattering and moving to different seats. But um, anyway, that has nothing to do with my message, but the history lesson makes me think back to that. So let, let, one other thing before we lean into scripture of, I encourage you on your own time to read Nehemiah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Ezra. Incredible reads. But I want to give you an areas of focus of where I want to see us do, uh, put our lives and what we lead in our families, in our church, in the community under construction. Uh, and I, I'm going to just tell you a lot of areas we're going we're to teach how to fight for your family, whether you're single, married, with or without kids. We're going to teach you how to lead by dividing the work up and getting help. We're going to, and all of this is in these four books of the Bible. We're going to teach you how to protect the area you've already built, built, meaning you build and fight at the same time, uh, and you be prepared for both, but also once you build something, you need to protect it, and which is all about a spiritual battle. The weapons we fight with, Scripture says, are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We are in a spiritual battle. Every country in America is under a spiritual battle. I got a dear friend uh, who's a missionary to China. And he, his heart is to reach China and see people come to know Jesus. And there is a spiritual battle in China to reach the hearts and souls of those in China as well as in America or Zimbabwe or any other country. But this happens to be where we live and this is our time. This is our moment. This is our space God put us in to make a difference for the Lord. We're going to uh, lean into helping strengthen marriages, overcoming fear, discouragement, uh, we're going to lean into helping with uh, overcoming the mistreatment of people, fatigue, 
continuing on the battle even when you're fatigued, helping raise the next generation, our kids, grandkids, overcoming sin and repentance. This is all in these books. Anxiety, overcoming anxiety, overcoming depression. We're going to really lean in for a few weeks of overcoming depression. We're going to lean into how to handle our money and finances and honoring God, dealing with our past, our yesterdays, so that it will impact our futures, uh, feeling the pain, weeping for our city and not ignoring the pain of our city and others, planning things out. Nehemiah was a brilliant, brilliant planner, finding God's hope and peace in our lives. So as the children of Israel rebuilt the temple and rebuilt the walls and, and, and had a massive repentance called back to follow the law of God, Old Testament, New Testament, following the grace and love that Jesus has for us, I believe we're going to see as a church divine impact. And, and, and let's let that August 29th date, that when the day we started this series at 2,500 years ago, really resonate in our spirits, that God wants to do something fresh and new in your life. So Haggai, chapter 2, verse 1 through 9, I'll read it to you. In Haggai 2, in the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your lives? Among those who remained, the old, uh, those who were in their 70s or older, who could remember Solomon's temple that had been destroyed 66 years earlier, they're speak, it's speaking right here about them. The people could see in the rebuilt project that the temple would be far inferior to Solomon's temple and its wealth and physical beauty. Let's move to verse 4 of Haggai 2. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. Summerbrook, God's spirit remains in our midst within us. As we place our faith in Christ, the spirit lives within us. We need to fear not. Verse 6. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations so all the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. That the Lord was saying, hey, I'm going to fill this house, this temple with the presence of God. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house, the temple, shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace declares the Lord of hosts. Study Bible shares here, the focus of Haggai's oracle and his context 
is specifically on the immediate fulfillment of this prophecy right there for their time there in Jerusalem. In addition, though, from a New Testament vantage point, many would see a foreshadowing of events unfolding in the incarnation of Christ and ultimately in the second coming at the end of the age when Jesus spoke of his body as this temple. And when the book of Revelation speaks of the day when the whole city of Jerusalem will be filled with the presence of God. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. The King, the kings of the earth, will bring their glory into it. Haggai 2.9, I want to come back to that. Haggai 2.9. The latter, as the Lord is speaking, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Can, can you imagine all these people that have seen this beautiful temple that they had that was built in Solomon's day, and, and here they see this new temple being built that's a, 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 just so much less grander in scale. And then they're struggling with their past. They're, they're thinking about their uh, that former, but the Lord is saying, I'm going to do something greater. This temple may not be as beautiful and grand as the temple that was built in Solomon's day, but my glory is going to be even greater. My presence in this temple is going to be even greater. So uh, let's, first of all, is we're going to put our lives under construction, one of the things we got to do is deal with our past. Where are you stuck maybe in your past? It may be you're stuck with the glory days. You had an amazing season of your life that you don't think, you don't feel like you've been able to recapture. Man, it was just uh, your teenage years or, 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 or your 20s or your 30s or somewhere. You're just like, and, and let me keep leaning. I could go decade after decade after decade, you know, if, as you move up in age. But whatever stage, you may be in your 20s, and you're thinking about those teenage years or some years that were just so fond of yours. Maybe you had a great relationship with your parents, and then they divorced, and you still struggle with that pain. Or maybe you're in your 40s now, and you wish you still had the energy of your 20s. Whatever it is, you're, you're, you're maybe stuck in the glory days of the past. Or... You're, you're stuck in difficult days of the past that you haven't been able to, to, to let go of and get over. Some regrets, some bad choices that you made or someone did to you. And that past is holding you back. The good news of, this story, of these scriptures and uh, these books of the Bible and all of the counsel of scripture is that your best days can be right now and in front of you not behind you. And the title of this message is Greater. I really believe that the, the, the glory of God, God's presence in your life, can be greater now and in the future than your past. Let me prove it to you in Scripture. Um, uh, scripture says in Philippians 3, 13 and 4, I'll read 13, the half of 13 and verse 14. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, and straining towards what lies ahead, I press on to the goal for the upward 
call of God in Christ Jesus. God's presence, the victory we have in Jesus, is the greater. It's not circumstances, but it is God himself that fulfills us. And that as we exit this earth, whenever that is, that's the greatest. That's where we will not deal with sin any longer. That will be when we don't deal with any physical ailments any longer. But not only that, Scripture says, as we study in the, the book of Haggai and throughout Ezra and there, that the temple where God's presence dwelt in the Old Testament, that we are now, we are that temple that God resides in. That we, let me read it to you in Scripture, uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 6, verse 19 and 20, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Verse Corinthians three sixteen. do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. And you may be thinking, well, my temple's not as beautiful or talented as their temple. The good news of Scripture that God teaches us is this. It's not a matter of the looks or talent of the temple. It's who fills the temple. I'll say it again. It's not a matter of the looks or the talent of the temple. It is who fills the temple. Don't tell me there's not, nothing my God can't do in your life. I love that song we sang there, the, the, the third song about uh, God healing, God delivering. Don't you tell me that my God can't, can't do it. I know he can't. And that's the good news, and that's why your, your greatest days can be now and in front of you. Because this is the good news of God as well. What happens as we're singing that song, don't you tell me there's nothing my God can't do. But what happens when he doesn't do it and we know he can? We've been praying and praying and God doesn't do it. The same truth is this. Our, 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 um, the greatness, God's presence, God's love is not based upon our circumstances or what God does or doesn't do. It's based on him. And as he indwells us, he enables us to do the works he's called us to do. So I, I want to uh, I encourage you to do some practical things. I would encourage you uh, today or even now, write down some areas that you want to see uh, that have lied dormant or totally destroyed that you want to see rebuilt in your life. And the Lord's right now putting his finger on it. It's like uh, August 29th, I wanted you to hear this. And you know that you know the Lord's speaking. So I want you to begin to think about that and begin to take notes on that. And then let me help you lean in practically to several areas. One, I believe all of us to uh, put our lives under construction to reach our full potential. One of the biggest things I've learned through the years is jump into a group. 
So we'll be launching groups here at the end of service. I would encourage you to jump into a group. you got to get connected relationally. And let me, let me lean in real quick to the men here that on September 10th and 11th, it's a Friday to a Saturday, and, and the drive is only 45 minutes to an hour away, and check-in starts at 1, and we're going to have an incredible time, a lot of fun, and then we'll have dinner at 6, and then our meeting that night where we're going to meet with Jesus and grow as men of God. And then the next morning, having a lot of fun, have another meeting, meet with God, and just an incredible day. But I would encourage you men, sign up on the Church Center app, or you can go to where the uh, info center is, where the, co- where the free coffee is, and, and have them coach you on how to sign up or sign up there, or tell one of the men's groups here you want to go. Uh, and, and even if you got to work Friday, if you, get off, if you get off by 5 o'clock, you can even make dinner time and, and then have, be a part of the meetings and spend a night with us and not really, miss a lot of fun, but you'd still be able to get the meetings and everything we're doing and the next day. Men, you need to get connected. You need to jump and, and be a part of men's conference. I'm going to encourage you right now, come and be a part. We're going to meet with Jesus and reach our full potential in the Lord. Let me give you another area. Um, uh, that God's putting on my heart to really um, uh, lean into. Then, when, when I was uh, like my senior year of high school, freshman year of college, somewhere in there, I cut my teeth on a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. The thing was like that thick on apologetics of defending your faith in Christ by Josh McDowell. Remember, he had a, a part two as well. So there was two really thick books. That's how I cut my teeth on apologetics. Well, Josh McDowell noticed something in the last 10 years of the decay and what pornography was doing to the church. And uh, Pure Desire, who we're partners with as a church, it's a, a, a purity ministry that they're like the, uh, the purity ministry of helping uh, Christians overcome pornography and, and other issues in that era, in that genre. They're kind of like the Dave Ramsey of finance, uh, but Pure Desire of uh, of sexual purity, and uh, uh, Pure Desire is interviewing Josh McDowell because in the last 10 years, he has really leaned into the, the fight of helping churches wake up to the battle of pornography in the church, and so this, this grabbed me so much. I really wanted us to hear. It's a real short clip, but I really believe it, it, it has a lot to speak to us about being under construction in, in our lives, in our church, and our families. If you would watch it with me. I was just going to ask, you know, with your background being in apologetics and understanding culture and, you know, such great teaching and preaching in the church, as, as you've shifted so much of your focus to understanding our culture and what's happening with pornography, are there any things in the last 10, 12 years with this focus that is, has surprised you, was different than you expected, that as you've really gotten into it, that you just, you didn't expect you were going to find? What, what has been surprising to you in this journey? Probably... Two things <coughs> that I didn't expect when I first started looking into it that's happened over time. One, I didn't expect it to go younger and younger mm. and younger. Yeah. yeah. Mm. I'm convinced now the average age is about four to five years old. It used to be 10 to 11, then 9 to 10, then 8 to 9, then 7 to 8. Six, now I believe it's five to six years of age. 
So that surprised me. Breaks my heart, too. Oh, yeah. But second, I didn't know that pornography could go darker and darker and darker. Hmm. I think it's kind of the law of diminishing return. Yep. Is that to hold their audience, to make the money and all, they've got to go darker and darker and more, more revealing dynamic. Yeah than they have to uh say a few years ago and those two things really surprised me hmm. and then probably the other surprise is how many parents are not aware of it yeah i mean they're not hearing it in church uh but i would say to any parent it's probably a good chance your children watch pornography hmm. i'm not saying they absolutely do but stats out there shows it's a good percentage from some of the best families your kids have seen and are seeing pornography. Yeah. Those all really surprised me. So um, I have a conquer group on Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. That men, I want to invite you to it. Uh, if you're struggling breaking free of pornography or not because we really need to really educate so it'll be uh so educational not only to help break free but understand the battle we're in so i want to encourage you men to be a part it'll be 6 a.m in the church officer's studio across the way uh starting this tuesday morning would love for you to be a part of this we are committed as a church to win this battle and uh, I want to encourage you also to get connected with Pure Desire Ministries online because they, they, like I said, they help the church in any area. Ladies, men, couples, kids, teenagers, they got, they got books, groups, all kinds of areas. And we continue to scale groups in this area to really go after this area. And you'll hear more. This isn't a one-time thing. You'll hear us more and more again on this. But this is an area we need to win. And so I want to encourage you. Men, I'd love for you to uh, be a part of that. Faithful uh, to start this uh, Tuesday morning. Regardless if you struggle in it or not. Because this isn't a battle just for... It. This is a church-wide battle at every age. Uh, another practical step. If you want to make headway, you need a takeaway is that, and, and know that I'm, I'm pointing this to me too. This is one of the things I want us to see us have more and more of. I really believe though, if the Holy Spirit lives within us at salvation, which scripture teaches he does, and I believe it, that we should have more hope, more peace, more courage than anyone else that we're around as a Christ follower. And I'm pointing the finger at me on this too. I want more hope, more peace, and more courage in my life. I really do. And so I want you to know, I want us to lean into that. But the start of it, we're going to keep teaching other areas for you in this. But the start of it is Haggai 2 verse 9. That when the Spirit indwells you, no matter the circumstances, your hope, your peace, your courage, on and on and on, can grow stronger. Not, not in any way denying what you're facing, but that there's this continued strengthening 
of your hope in him. So I, I, and we're going to continue to lean here in a lot of areas in that. But l- let me pray for you, and then we're going to launch groups. Father, we love you. And I pray right now in Jesus' name that you would open our eyes to see the hope, the love, the strength that you have for us. And that as you indwell us, you enable us to overcome and to put our lives under construction, to grow and to reach our God-given potential, to be greater than anything we ever thought or imagined, according to you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said together, amen, amen. amen.